You guys can be seated. My name is Jesse, if we've not met yet, but uh, I think we've met uh, most of you. Uh, but if we've not yet, you know, I'm, I'm the socially awkward one. You'll go for the handshake, I'll go for the fist bump. We'll do like the turkey thing in the middle, and that's okay. That's just my spiritual gift, is to make everything really, really uncomfortable. But uh, I'm glad that you are here. We are in the middle of a series right now. Uh, we're going through this passage of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus was sitting on the side of a mountain and he gave a sermon. And so all of the naming thing people uh, got together and said, what do we want to call this? Well, he's on a mountain and it was a sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. You can find it in your Bible. It begins in Matthew chapter 5, and I'll be in Matthew chapter 5 uh, today uh, as, we, as we teach. And just, I just want to just kind of you know, uh, introduce or go over some of the things that we've already talked about, because we're in week three. And what we see in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus uh, has already been established as the rightful and expected king in all of Matthew. So Matthew chapter 1, you have the genealogy, and kind of all the way through, you have uh, John the Baptist baptizing him. In each step of the way, the author, Matthew, wants us to see Jesus is the rightful king, the one that we should have been expecting all along. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's first, in, in the book of Matthew, it's the first, like, Oration. It's the first. It's the first message that he gives, and and we see that he establishes if he's the rightful king, he establishes what his kingdom should look like. And so the first week we got together, and we read this the first portion of, of chapter five. Uh, it's it's eight or nine. What what some people call the beatitudes. It's those blessed statements. You you know what I'm talking about. And what we see in those beatitudes, those blessed statements, is that the the currency of the kingdom is different than the currency of the rest of the world. The rest of the world trades in, I'm stronger than you, I'm going to put you in your place. The rest of the world says, I'm more cynical than you, I'm going to tell you why that leader shouldn't be trusted. The currency of the world says, if, if, I'm, if I'm smart enough, if I'm good looking enough, if I'm powerful enough, I get my way. But the currency of the kingdom is different. The currency of the kingdom says, blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are uh, the meek. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That the currency of the kingdom, the way that the king says that the kingdom trades is very different than how the world trades. In fact, some people have argued, and the last time I taught this, I, I used the phrase upside down. It's upside down and almost in an exact reversal of everything that the world says is most important. And everything that, that you know, when you go to school and, and you're having to deal with the social cliques of this, of this generation, all of the cliques say this thing is important, but the king says something else is important. When you go to work and you're having to navigate your coworker and the relationship and who bought how much for which baby shower and just the, all of the mores of it. The world says that this part is important and you should really pay attention to this. But the king says, no, the way I design my kingdom is this part is important and you should pay attention to this instead. And, and we're kind of, we're, we're left with a line in the sand. Uh, those of us who call ourselves Christians and we're kingdom citizens, the line in the sand is, I feel the world telling me this, but I hear the king telling me this, and every day, every decision is a, is a chance to choose. Do I go the, the world's currency or the, the king's currency? And then last week, we were talking about where Jesus says that we are the salt and we are the light of this world, that we're meant to, to be something different in this world. Uh, in, in, a, in a kingdom sense, uh, we, have, we have embassies in other nations. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, when, when I was in college, we took a, a trip to Israel, and the first thing, like we landed the airplane, they took us to Jerusalem, and before we got to the hotel, before we unpacked, before we knew where the grocery store was, they took us to the American embassy and said, if 
there's a problem, if you get lost or something happens, you need to make it to this building. It's right here. Here's the address. They pointed to it, and they said, well, why? Because in that building, there's a different set of laws than outside that building. There's protection because I'm a citizen of America. If I can make it in that building, I'm protected under American law. And when Jesus goes out and says that you, my citizens, you Christians, you followers of me, are the light and the salt, he's establishing an embassy in this world. We, the church, we operate under a different set of rules, but we live, everything outside of our walls is, is a different kingdom, it's a different world, but we inside, we, we treat each other with, with kindness and respect, with dignity. Uh, even the weakest of us, uh, the kingdom would say that we lift up. Uh, outside of these walls, the weakest of us are the problems, and, and we feel that when we go out there and we make a mistake, but in here, uh, in, in the church, it should be that it's upside down and it's an embassy. It's a place of refuge and rescue for anybody who's a citizen of uh, the kingdom. So uh, last week we see that the king, our King Jesus, has uh, kind of established uh, some territories in a world that is otherwise dark. And, and that's where we live now. So today I'm going to be in uh, chapter 5, <coughs> excuse me, verse 17. Uh, and I just want to read the first verse and then I want to unpack it. The reason is, uh, this first verse is one of those like huge theological pieces that if you get it right, you get a lot of things right. If you understand it right, you understand a lot of things. But if you get it wrong, uh, it tweaks other things uh, to the point that they don't quite make sense anymore. This is, this is up there in the range of like, do you understand the cross properly? Do you understand that like God the Father and Jesus is God the Son, that he is God and divine? Like This is one of those big piece, uh, pieces of theology. So let me read it, and then we'll try to explain it. He's just finished saying the salt. He's just finished saying that we are the light of the world. And then he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What does it mean to fulfill a law? What does Jesus mean when he says that? That is a, that is a hard thing to unpack. Now, remember the crowd that he has right there, the crowd that is gathered with Jesus at the, the foot of the mountain. These are people that um, they have a Jewish background. Um, they're, they're kind of down and out. A lot, of, a lot of them would be broken because we see that Jesus was healing them. There were paralytics. There were, there were people with diseases. We have the Syrians who aren't really Jewish in background. They're just like hoping somebody can make sense of it. They've, they've showed up to Jesus at the, at the uh, mountain. This is all at the very end of chapter four, if you want to proof me on it. And, and he says, uh, I'm not here to start a brand new religion. I'm not going to abolish the law. They, they understood the law. Well, what, what did they think about when they thought of the law? You and I think of like, okay, uh, don't, don't speed, right? Anybody, anybody was running late this morning and maybe went a hair over the speed limit getting here? Bunch of lawbreakers. What would it mean for someone to fulfill that law? Well, I, I drove the speed limit, but the law is still there. I have to drive the speed limit every time I drive down the road. It's not, it's not over. So it's, it's not quite like that. In the Jewish mind, um, God sets up a covenant. We used that word last week and I didn't explain it. Covenant is like contract or promise. It's, a, it's an official agreement. All, all the ancient world would have understood this. Kings would enter into covenants with other kings and they would set the parameters for it. And at the very beginning of Genesis, Adam and Eve, they, they fall and there's a break in their relationship with God and God enters into a covenant with Adam that he's going to restore Adam and, and the people of Adam. He says to Adam, he says that uh, your seed, uh, this, the, the serpent will bruise your seed's heel but he's going to crush the serpent's head. That's a promise that God made to Adam as he's establishing this covenant. Fast forward a little bit. There's a guy named Abraham. You guys know Abraham? 
Father Abraham had many sons. And you start swinging your hands and there's this whole marching thing. It's a lot of fun. If you don't know the song, uh, maybe go to third grade church. But it's a great song. Uh, Abraham, uh, he hears a voice from God. He, Abraham's minding his own business. He's not, there's nothing special about Abraham. He's not like really struggling to find the Lord. He's just some guy that the Lord says, I'm going to make a people out of you. And, and God enters into a covenant with Abraham. And the covenant is more or less like, I promise I'm going to make a great nation out of you and I'm going to be magnified because of it. And then there's no real law established yet. It's just like, we're going to do it. And then Abraham made a, just, he fumbled it over and over again. And God's like, okay, but we're going to put this back together because I I made a promise and I'm going to follow through with it. So they think of, when they think of the Old Testament, they think of Adam, the promise made to Adam. They think of the promise made to Abraham, but then they also think of the law that was given to Moses. And when you get to Moses, the covenant becomes more cause and effect. The covenant that, that God establishes with Moses is, uh, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And I expect my people to be holy. And in order to be holy, you have to do these things. If you fail to do these things, I'm going to be glorified in my judgment of you, in my punishment of you. And if you succeed in doing these things, I'm going to be glorified in your success and how this nation thrives. One way or another, God is saying, I'm going to be glorified in this moment, uh, whether you obey me or not. And then, and then Israel enters into the sacrificial system and they, they slay goats and there's a sin offering and there's the, the, the lamb at, uh, uh, Passover that they, that they remember. And, and, and this law is this daily, weekly, and monthly reminder. I'm making a mistake. I have a problem. I have a problem that is separating me from God, and it's probably the reason I'm having all these problems with my relationships over here. And so I need to go to the temple and find a priest, and I'm going to get a pigeon, I'm going to get some grain, I'm going to get the lamb, whatever the sacrifice requires, and I'm going to do it. And all of their energy was spent doing that. And so when Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, he's saying, I didn't come to tear this law apart. I'm not, I'm not here to do away with this law, I'm here to fulfill it. I'm here to do something that's never been done before. So anybody here, um, you ever had an earworm? I don't mean like a parasite. It sounds disgusting. My kids love it. They, they look, oh, that's called an earworm. And then they go around, ha, ha, I got an earworm. Here's what an earworm is. Earworm is you get a song and you only have half of it in your head and it's playing over and over again, but you don't have the end of it. And it's just like, will this song ever get out of my head? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? You know how annoying that is? Uh, you, I, I don't think you feel it. Like you know it intellectually, but you don't feel it. Uh, back in my uh, youth ministry days, uh, there was a countdown clock that the entire purpose of the clock was to mess with your head. They would start a song and they wouldn't finish it. You musicians are about to lose your ever-loving mind. Uh, I, I just I, and, and at the end of each time they would do the song, instead of finishing the song, the guy would yell, you may not hear it right away, but he yells the word Chick-fil-A. If you ask me later, like, why does he yell Chick-fil-A? I don't know, but it's hilarious with teenagers because they're into the jam. Let, let's, if you can put the first one, this is a good one if you grew up in, in the same era I did. Oh, yeah. You feel it? You feel it down in your soul? Now this Chick-fil-A! No, see, see, and right there, you're just like, why, why did it end? It's right to the good part. I need, I need this fulfilled. I need to find the end of this because I just, okay, some of you, you didn't grow up with Will Smith. Fresh Prince wasn't your thing. Maybe you're more like a 80s rock band. Maybe, maybe that's your jam. Can, can you help me with that, Barbara? Come on, Aaron, you know this one. Everybody wants to get the microphone out. Mm. Mm. Do it. Watch this over. You got an electric guitar. It's nice. 
Mm-mm. It stopped. It said, don't stop. And then it stopped. How annoying is that? And you're just, you're just like, come on for like, can we get to the next beat? Because I, for the rest of today, you're going to be like, don't, don't, you're going to, you're going to do that part of the song and it, your, your heart and your soul just needs you to finish the song. Uh, man, maybe you're more Disney. Any Disney fans in here? This is, this is the one that's going to make your brain fry. Barbara, if you can, oh, like this swirling storm where were you at? I know somebody in here is ready to sing it. Let's sing it. Let's hear it over here. Back row, right there. No, no. Second row. There we go. Always have to be concealed. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Feel like that's growing in you, right? Some of you dads and moms are like, please don't do it. And then Chick-fil-A just ends it. Just just ends it. And it's just done. It's just, and you're just like, why? Why is Jesse putting me through this? The entire Old Testament has all these sacrificial systems that are like the first half of the song, and they all promise something better is coming, and it never comes. And it never, it's never fulfilled. For, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the people did everything they could to make a right relationship with God. And you can read all through the Old Testament. There were seasons where they did their very best to follow the sacrificial system. and missed a few times, but they did their best. And then there were seasons where they just like, I can't keep up. It's exhausting. It's exhausting to keep going through this every week, every day, every year. I have to see the sins of my priest sacrificed and laid on that land all the time. Can, can it just end? Please, can it just end? So let's read this again. All that feeling that you had when Frozen came on and it's not finished and it's like bugging you out, just multiply that times a thousand. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. I'm not here to do something completely new. I'm here to bring the end of the song. I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so he fleshes this thought out that he's going to fulfill them, that, that Jesus the king, he hasn't gone to the cross yet, but he's promising, I am going to fulfill every bit of the law and every bit of the prophets. I'm going to end the song and thus satisfy your soul. And so he fleshes it out. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. In the crowd, uh, you, have, you have people who are far from their faith far from Judaism. You have people who want to be close, but they've, they've been broken. And you have Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. They're there and they're like, yeah, the law. I was wondering, because they have to have been wondering up until this point, is Jesus going to like start a brand new religion, like completely go a different direction than what we call the Old Testament? They called it just the, the Torah. Uh, is he going in a completely different direction? And he's saying, no, I didn't come to abolish all that. I came to fulfill it. In fact, until every bit of this is accomplished, we're... We're bound to this. It says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so now you have, you have people who, they, they, they get by, but they know they're like, if you just ask them like, hey, how, how's your faith? They're like, oh, you know, I don't know. I do what I can. I live, I live 100 miles from the Dadgum Temple. I can't even get there to do all the sacrifices. We just pray and, and hope. Then you have like the religious professionals. Like these are super, if, if they were trading, like, tr- you know, you have your baseball cards, your football cards, and you have like super Christian cards, 
the faces of the Pharisees and the Sadducees there because not only do they know the rules better than you, but they can follow them and they have the money to cover up when they don't follow them. They, they can get the entire sacrificial system in place and, and everybody would look and it's like, well, who is, the, who is the closest one to following all of the requirements? And you have the, the, the peasants the, the, that are at the Sea of Galilee, like, it's definitely not me. But that guy over there with the nice robe and the nice ring, he, he's like from the temple. That's him. He, he's, he's the one who, who's the best at doing this. Maybe Jesus is on his side more than he's on, on my side. But then Jesus adds this one last verse. And you've got to love when Jesus gets all word ninja, because this is what happens. Jesus, Jesus lays in one sentence exactly where the parameter is, and everybody feels the sting from it, because that's how Jesus rolls. Verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then everybody, the, the one who was poor in spirit was like, oh, man, that's probably not me. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the meek and the, the one who's mourning, the one who just had like the soldier accost them on the way to the mountain and like, you know, fleece them for an extra 20 shekels or something. He's like, it's definitely not me. I can tell by my circumstances that God is mad at me. But when he says that, that unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes or the Pharisees, do you know who can exceed the scribes or the Pharisees? Scribes and the Pharisees. You can't exceed yourself. And so he said, he said to everybody in the room, you may have thought walking in to my Sermon on the Mount that we were all in different boats. You have this boat and they're okay. That boat's going to be just fine with the Pharisees and the scribes. And this boat over here is the one that needs help. And you think I'm only coming to these. And you guys think I'm only coming to these. He's like, in fact, all of your boats are sinking. Because unless your righteousness is, exceeds the superstars over there, unless you're more perfect than them, uh, you can't enter the kingdom. You can't, you can't fulfill the law yourself. Well, good thing he didn't come just to point to that. Jesus didn't come as a God who's really mad at his people and just wags his finger. He comes to remind them that the sacrificial system was never meant to perfect them. He didn't come to abolish the sacrificial system. He came to fulfill it. If you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a while, you're like, hey, Jesse, are you trying to undo like the whole like sanctity, you know, security of the saints and that? no. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying that, that my, my faith isn't rooted in this one time I made a prayer uh, and, and how serious I was when I was in sixth grade and I made that prayer. My faith and your faith should be as a Christian is rooted in how successful was Jesus in fulfilling the law. Because if he was only 99% successful, we're all in the same sinking ship as the Pharisees and the scribes and the rest of the Syrians and everybody else because we're all left to atone for our own sins to pay for our own price. What's interesting is uh, the sacrificial system, the law, it requires sacrifices to be made at the temple. And every year, blood of the, uh, the, the uh, oh goodness, I forget the name of the lamb, uh, but the Passover lamb uh, is put on the Ark of the Covenant. In 70 AD, 40 years after Jesus made this statement, the temple is torn down and the Ark of the Covenant disappears. To this day, unless you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark and you think that's like historical documentary, uh, to this day, the Ark of the Covenant is missing. It was there when Jesus made these words and the sacrificial system was at least possible, even though it was constant and never-ending and exhausting, but it was at least possible. I mean, if you really wanted to make the sacrifices, you can leave your home in Galilee and make it to the temple for your sacrifice for your family to pay for the sins of that year, and then you can make the same sacrifice next year. But in 71 AD, the next year after the temple went down, it became impossible 
to meet the demands of the law. And to this day, you can try to, to, to patch it together as best you can, but if, if you really wanted to, if you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be superstar, religious, I'm, I'm going to ignore all the New Testament, I'm just going to read Leviticus and Deuteronomy, I'm going to do everything Leviticus and Deuteronomy says, it is literally impossible because the places and the things that you need don't exist. Not to mention, we don't have enough cattle to cover the sins that we're constantly committing against each other. We would, we would be a vegan nation. <laughs> we would have no more hamburgers to survive off of. Whataburger goes away it becomes, what a great idea this would have been, uh, but we don't have any more beef because we've sacrificed all the cattle. Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, during a time where all they know is the sacrificial system and the law, during a time where all they know is religious legalism, that this actually isn't what God wanted all along. He, he wanted something better. And, and just to show you that I'm not making this up, uh, I'm going to turn, and you can too in your Bible, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people say Paul. Some people say Luke. Nobody knows. Um, but what we do know is the timing of Hebrews comes well after the Sermon on the Mount, well after the cross. It's probably around 50 AD. It's before the temple goes down. Uh, so we'll say 50 to 55, but it's before the temple goes down, but it's after the cross, and it's after Christians are starting to grow. And the author of Hebrews is trying to explain what God planned for the law all along and how Jesus fulfilled the law. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1, says this. It says, For since the, the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Now the, the author is trying to say something that was obvious to everybody. Uh, everybody knew my family goes and sees the priest make the sacrifice for his sins every year. You would think that after he did it that one time, and you're like, yeah, man, I'm so glad he did that. Maybe a year would come up that the priest maybe didn't make a bunch of mistakes and that he had to pay for, but it never happened. Every year they would show up and they would see the priest pay for their sins. And, and, and if the priest didn't pay for his own sins, then he couldn't do the sacrifice. The sacrifice for your family wouldn't count anymore. Could you imagine could you imagine like you went to the temple and you saw the priest that was going to do the sacrifice for your family n not care about his own sin? And you're just like, why are, you, why are you killing animals for my family? You're just wasting time. You, your entire faith at this moment is built on how righteous is that person and can their righteousness like let God hear them and, and I can follow it. And, and the author of Hebrews is saying it can never, uh, it, it can never make good on the promise. You hear the beginning of the song that, that like uh, redemption and atonement is possible, but you never hear the final beat of the song in the sacrificial system. Verse 2 says, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Every year the system you would go and give an accounting publicly in front of your community of some things that you weren't really super proud of. You have some secret sin right now? You have some secret sin? Uh, that maybe, maybe you have some things that like in the last month or two, you've quietly prayed to the Lord uh, to forgive and to work on, and you're working on that. Praise God that, that you're working towards holiness. Uh, that system works today because Jesus fulfilled the law, but that system did not work during the law. Because in the Old Testament, you couldn't just privately handle your sin. 
You would stand in front of your community, people that saw you, people that like raised your kid in your daycares, uh, and, and you would say, you know what, I've really been struggling with, and you just, you had to publicly say it, because if you didn't publicly say it, God wouldn't listen. But he said, he said that they weren't clean. Verse 3, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and now he quotes something from Psalm 40. I even wrote Psalm 40 in it because I wanted to go back and read it. Uh, You may want to write in your own Bible, which is legal, by the way. I don't know if you know that. Some people are like, it's a holy Bible. I can't write it. You can write in it. I write in mine. You can highlight stuff. Don't write like messages and call it the Bible. That, that, would be, that would be wrong. But you can write notes to yourself. And he says that Christ came into the world and he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. What, what, what Jesus is being quoted as saying right here is that God never took pleasure in sacrifices. Like from the very beginning, when he said to Moses, hey, I'm going to set up the sacrificial system, it wasn't like God's like, yes, I think this is awesome. It was terrible. If you're a parent, you know this feeling. You know the feeling of telling your kids, if you continue to do this thing, you, you've got to pay a, a punishment for it. And the kid's like, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. Uh, for the sake of anonymity, I won't tell you which one of my sons did this because they sometimes don't like being an illustration. Uh, but when one of my sons was about one year old, uh, he was super excited that we had a TV that he could reach. I don't know if you had one of these. Uh, and the TV didn't really have like a cool down and, and cool uh, heat up process. It was like when it was on, it was on, it was off, it was off. Uh, and so he would go up and he pressed the button. It was off. On. And so I would just sit and watch, you know, thousands of dollars go through this TV, like on, off, on, off, on, off. And it was like, hey, son, you, you've got to stop. You, you can't do that. We're going to, we're going to, uh, you got to stop. And so I'd pull him away and I'd say, no, no. He's one. I'm like, what do you say to a one year old? Um, no, no, don't, don't do that. Okay. And then, you know, okay, you need a timeout. And I'll put him in timeout. I'd sit there and let him do the, the whole one minute of timeout because that's what it's supposed to be. And then he gets up and immediately, and it, was, it was like an addiction. He wouldn't do it. And I said, son, if you do that one more time, if, if you do that one more time, I'm, I'm going to have to spank you. And I don't want to, but I'm going to have to spank you. And he looks at me. <laughs> and he looks at the TV. <laughs> oh, and he spanks himself and he turns the TV on and he runs down the hall. He's like, it's worth it. I can do this. I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the lick and I'm going to do it. <laughs> and all through the Old Testament, you see these small moments where the people were satisfied living in righteousness and not sin. But the broad strokes of it was, it's worth it to do whatever I want. I'm going to kill my favorite goat over and over again. And every good parent is like, I don't want to spank you. It's like, it's like at the beginning of The Simpsons, you know, where Bart Simpson uh, has to write lines on the board. He has to write lines all the time. And every week, the show would come on, he's having to write different lines on the board. You would think uh, he would learn, hey, don't do that thing that made you write the lines. But he's always having to write lines on the board. Is the teacher like super excited that he, you know, she, he or she is having to watch the kid write the lines? No. The teacher's like, there just has to be a consequence. I have to do something. It's actually taking up my time to supervise you writing the lines. I don't want to do it. It's not the ideal plan. The ideal plan is that you stop being a knucklehead and you do this instead. But because you keep being a knucklehead, I have to do something, so you have to write lines. And Jesus, like, let me let you in on a secret, Jesus says. God never wanted us to have the sacrificial system. He takes no pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
Verse 8, he says, When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Think about that. Think about how much time you had to spend. Is this a burnt offering or a grain offering? Is this a sin offering? How much salt do I need to put on? Your entire life revolves around the requirements of just trying to keep a relationship open with God. These are offered according to the law. Then, verse 9, he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. He, does, he, he fulfills the law to establish the second, the second law. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The reason you and I as Christians don't stand in condemnation is because Christ 2,000 years ago died on the cross as a sacrifice like we used to do for lambs. And instead of having to go to the cross every year and find a new Messiah every stinking year to do it over and over again, he was so perfect, he was so blameless, that he fulfilled the entire law for all kingdom citizens, for all Christians. And then he lets us in on a secret in the process. He says, we never wanted it this way. We never wanted the sacrificial system. It was just necessary to start the song, the beats of the song, so that you would know when you heard the end and it fulfilled your soul. That, that it's like, dun, 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 all the Old Testament, and you wait for a 1,500 years, dun, dun, Jesus, boom. Oh, he finished it. He completed the song, and it makes sense. Now, um, uh, it, it, this is going out over, hey, uh, online people, uh, this is going out over the world, and so just in case there's someone out there that's like, you know what, I really think that the New Testament is a completely different religion, and, and it's, it's uh, let me just say, um, I, I, I wanted to add into the sermon a few Old Testament verses that showed that God was never super happy about the sacrificial system. Uh, except there, I filled up my paper as I was making notes of them. Uh, I don't have time uh, to just take my word for it that, that God wasn't really happy with the Old Testament system. But if you're like, no, Jesse, um, I'm going to need to do my own Bible study, get a pen and paper and write down these verses, if you don't mind, Barbara. Uh, these are just the ones I could fit on this slide. Uh, Isaiah 43, 22 through 28. Isaiah 59, 14 uh, through 21, Isaiah 1, the entire chapter of Isaiah 1, but Isaiah 1 verse 11 specifically is God's like, are you kidding me with the sacrificial system? You just keep running to the temple and what I want for you is holiness. I want you to live righteously. Read 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23. Hosea, the entire book of Hosea, by the way, but Hosea 6, 6 specifically is God's like, I'm really kind of disgusted with the smell of all the burnt offerings you guys keep having to offer up. It, it, it's, you know, that if you've ever worked in a pizza shop, you probably loved pizza before you started and hated pizza when you left. You know what I'm talking about? You're just the smell, like the very smell of the pizza is terrible. Uh, God's like, you, you're offering so many sacrifices over and over. All of Psalm 50, all of Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is creating me a clean heart. And then he goes through how he's relied on the sacrificial system instead of trying to pursue righteousness. Psalm 50 uh, is, is uh, God just saying, look, we established the sacrificial system. Nobody's following it by my own power. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to do it myself. It's a prophecy that Christ is going to come and, and he's going to fulfill the law by his own strength. He's going to do what none of us have been able to do. Psalm 46 through 8. And if you like, hey, this isn't enough to prove your point, email me and I'll send you the next page of notes. <laughs> like it's all over the Old Testament. The Old Testament says that there's this law and that sin has to be paid for because God demands perfection. 
God demands holiness. And the entire Old Testament is like a, a case study that all of the best people, all of the king's men and all the king's horses could not fulfill the stinking law one single generation, not once. And you and I, prior to coming to Christ, lived in guilt and shame because we felt the weight of our burdens, the weight of our brokenness that separated us from a holy and righteous God. We look at God and we think, you are perfect and I... I don't think I'm much of anything even close to perfect. I'm not even halfway. And there's a reality that there is a real separation from those who have not confessed Christ and God. But when Jesus says that he's come to fulfill the law, all of us who have cried out and taken uh, uh, his sacrifice as atonement for our sins, we're, we're saying, I have a good relationship with God. We don't travel to the temple. We don't, have to, we don't have to cry out to Jesus once a year. It's once and done. So, someone was asking me a, a few months ago about this. Uh, there's a doctrine called perseverance of the saints. And the idea is very simply, once a Christian, always a Christian, once saved, always saved. That once, once you confess the Lord, you can't be separated from that. And they were like, you know, well, what, if, what if I decide? What if I just say, I no longer want to be a part of it? Well, I, I think that there are some cases and we, can, we have conversations about like why someone would say something like that. But at the heart of it, the reason why I believe that God is good at his promise isn't because of how serious the person was when they said it. It's because of how complete Jesus was at fulfilling the law. The cross is enough. The cross is enough that any Christian here who walks in shame and guilt shouldn't. We should be able to lay every piece of shame and guilt at the feet of the cross and take a step back and have a right relationship with God and say, how you doing? Just, you know, I just want to talk. Talk to my dad. Can you help me today? You have those moments. Think, think, think about the silence of your soul right now. What if your soul sounded like that silence right there? If it were up to us and we had to be in the sacrificial system, we're constantly thinking, do I even have enough goats right now? <sighs> that one goat broke his leg. I can't use that one anymore. I was going to use that one. I was going to cover Sally being a jerk to his, you know, her sister, but you know, can't do that. So I guess she's going to have to pay for that sin for another year. Uh, I, need, I need some grain. You're just constantly thinking, how do, I, how do I repair this relationship? How do I repair this relationship? And because Jesus fulfilled the law, we are no longer required to maintain our own righteousness. Christ gives us his righteousness, and he's maintained it sufficiently without our help. And then we live in freedom. We live in freedom. It's not a different religion than the Old Testament. It's the end of the song. The song has its completion. It's crescendo in Christ. And we don't have to hear that nagging beginning of the song, uh, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough. There's not a day that goes by, if I can just, like, a little transparency, maybe it's an overshare, I don't know. There's not a day that goes by, I don't look in the mirror and think, man, you guys were, like, were you even thinking straight when you asked me to be pastor? Am I going to be enough right here? And every day I have to tell myself, eh, who, who cares? Uh, Christ is enough, and I trust him. I'm going to trust Jesus. I may not be enough to, uh, of a dad. I may not be enough of a husband. I may not be enough of a human. But Christ is enough, and I trust him. And so it's Christ in me that makes me enough. And that's the only thing. 
So, so here's, here's how I want to end. Um, just, a, just a few thoughts. Uh, the first is this. Um, if our, our righteousness doesn't exceed that of the kind of the religious uh, superstars around us, you know, Jesus, he looked at all of them. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, that had to have been a, oh. Unless, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, we're, we're in trouble. But thankfully, Jesus exchanges his righteousness for our shortcomings. I, I, my righteousness comes from Christ. If, if you're not a believer in Jesus, uh, here, here's what this means. If, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you're not a follower, you're not a, you're not a Christian. And it's by choice. It's not out of ignorance. It's like, I hear what you're saying. I hear the propositions. I just choose not to be a follower of Jesus. What that is saying is, I choose to rely on my own righteousness. And Jesus is saying, let me tell you what the kingdom is really like. Unless your righteousness exceeds the most spiritually amazing person you can think of, unless it's better than theirs, you're going to fall short. You're, you're going to fall short. And, 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 and if you want to go to the judgment seat with that, with that piece of information, then, then I, at least you knew before you got there. But when he says to the broken people and the Syrians and the, the paralytics that he just healed, he says, hey guys, I've come to fulfill the law. For those of us in here who we remember that season of being broken, he says, I am coming to fulfill the law. He's saying, rest easy. I've got this. I've got this. I'm going to give you my righteousness. Your righteousness will exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes if you're a believer in Jesus because your righteousness has Jesus' name stamped on it. You know, like made in China, made in Mexico, made in Jesus, our righteousness. Stamped on there. The second thing is this. The, the king has fulfilled the law that we couldn't. Um, and so we're now freed from the burden of righteousness maintenance. This will be the, the second one up here. That we're freed from the burden of righteousness maintenance. All the energy that they spent in the Old Testament trying to keep the relationship open with God, and then most of the time gave up, uh, they're freed from that in Christ. Uh, let's put it in our context. All that, all that time you spent as like a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old trying to prove to your family and everybody around you that you are enough and you are going to make it and prove that one person wrong and to rise above this, all of that energy you spent was, was poisoning you and it was, it was righteousness maintenance. And Jesus says, I've come to fulfill all of those requirements you're no longer required to maintain your own righteousness. And in Christ, we have the freedom to pursue holiness. Um, but we're no longer just having to constantly pay the price, take our own beatings um, to prove to God and everybody else around us that we're enough. If, if, if you're that person, and every time you look in the mirror, you say, I'm, I'm not enough. I'm, I'm just not. I'm not going to make it. And it's just a matter of time before everybody realizes that, honestly, I, I'm, I'm an imposter and everybody's going to figure it out eventually. Um, that's a lie. If you're a believer in Jesus, that is an absolute lie because uh, Jesus is enough and his righteousness is ours. And the third and final thing is this. The, the king has fulfilled the law that we couldn't, which is just praise God, right? Uh, I, I don't want to have to uh, deal with, with the sacrificial system. Um, but he fulfilled the law that we uh, could, can you go back uh, to that slide before? I'm sorry. Uh, and so now we're freed to submit to the law of Christ. You know, throughout, throughout Scripture, Jesus will say, I'll give you a new commandment, right? 
later, uh, Scripture calls it the law of Christ, and that is to love God and to love people. That we're freed from the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament law, that required uh, righteousness maintenance, but now we're freed to pursue uh, the love of God and the love of other people. Let me uh, read uh, Galatians 6. You can turn there if you, if you like. Just a few verses. This is how Paul sums it up. Now, basically, this whole message, by the way, uh, Jesus fulfilling the law. Uh, if you're like, hey, Jesse, you did that in 30 minutes. I would like more information. Just read the first 12 chapters of Romans. That's what Paul is talking about, is how did Jesus fulfill the law? That's, that's the whole point of the first half of Romans. But in, in excuse me, Galatians 6, Paul says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, before, before Jesus fulfilled the law, if anyone is caught in transgression, you know what the system was, right? Got to find the appropriate goat or the, the lamb or the grain or the pigeon. You had to take it to the appropriate person, hoping that they were holy enough to do something with it. And then they had to do with it exactly as prescribed. And you had to sit back and wait after you've confessed your sins to them. And then you would watch this whole system play out over and over and over again. But now it's different. What do we do now? What are we supposed to do if I see my brother or my sister over here wrestling with something, making some mistakes? If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We don't have to like say, go get your goat, get a good one. Just say, hey, can I talk to you? Can I pray for you? Can I help you? I'm, I'm for you. I've been where you're at. I know what it's like to stumble with that. I, I felt that, and there's a sting that comes at the end of it. I, maybe I can help you before you get to the sting uh, if, if you want some help. Uh, but, but I'm going to try to restore you if I can. It's not judgy. It's just restoration. But then he warns, he says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. There's a, there's a risk when we go out there. If, if you're having to handle your own sins, there's no risk to me. Go handle your own sins. You go deal with it. But if I approach you and try to help you with something that you're wrestling with, there's a risk that I might also fall into temptation. Uh, and he says, hey, just kind of check yourself too. Verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill what? The law of Christ. This, this is the new law that we get to be a part of, that we get to pursue now that Jesus has fulfilled the old law. We fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens is what Paul just said. Verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The Pharisees and the scribes in that uh, last passage, they sit around, they think, I'm a professional follower of God. I know what it's like. I'm really, really something. And Jesus and now Paul is saying, you're really not. All of the ships around here are, are sinking, if not for Jesus. But, verse 4, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. He says, test your own work. And uh, to put this in context of the rest of Galatians, it's the, uh, you, don't, you don't brag on how righteous you are. You brag on Jesus is righteous. Uh, but he says, you, you brag in that and not in your neighbor. Because what happens in the old system is, you had to sacrifice more goats than I did. Man, you must be a terrible person. I'm better than you. You sacrificed six goats last year, and I only sacrificed five. Man, your marriage must stink. Like, like it's just it's this constant math of at least I didn't have to do the six goat. I, we're better than the six goat family. Am I right? Am I right? Uh, and he says, stop doing that. You, you're, we're no longer measuring each other off of our neighbor. Verse five: For each will have to bear his own load. We, uh, because Jesus fulfilled the law, we take our stuff to God directly. And, and we don't need a mediator. You don't need a priest. You don't have to confess your sins to me. You just go to God directly. And just for selfish reasons, I added this last verse in verse six. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, 
added that because uh, I really, really love hearing how God works in your families, um, what the Lord is doing uh, in and around your lives. And if you start to apply anything that is taught, whether it's by me or your community group leader, you would be uh, just, just a, a, a cherry on top of, of a, a, the best Sunday you could think of if you would just go tell them, like, hey, I, I could see how this applies in my life because the, the one who teaches doesn't always see that. But we are free to fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, I'm a minute over. Apologies. I'm going to pray. Uh, but, you know, God, you know, Jesus paid the price for that too. So uh, you, you have to forgive me by law. Uh, Father, uh, this morning, uh, we thank you for your, uh, for your grace. We thank you that you are sufficient. Um, it's, not, it's not dependent on me to measure up. Uh, I see clearly that Jesus is enough. Um, he, knew, he knew every word to the song, and he fulfilled it. Uh, he's our perfect sacrifice and a worthy Lord, a worthy King. Uh, may we learn to live as his citizens, um, as Christians, may we learn to just rest on the completeness of Jesus. He's, he's perfect. You don't need anything more from us. But thank you for freedom. I pray for us that as we go into our world that we would be good ambassadors of your hope. I pray for those who are here or who are listening um, that hope isn't theirs yet, that they would consider the king they would consider the promise. Um, they, would, they would turn. They would turn to him and trust in him as Lord. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.